versus the man. Today is Friday, August 7th, 2020. Congratulations. You made it to another Friday. But I hope you don't look at the world that way. I hope you go, oh, man, the best part of my week, listening to Adam versus the man Monday through Friday. Man, this now now it's the weekend. I got to take, take a break from all this freedom. Well, that's okay. We have plenty of back content and stuff that you can get into, of course. Check out my YouTube channel. Look at the back. It's quite a catalog. There, what, 3,000-something videos? And by the way, Jim, you know, I want to thank the audience for getting us to where we are right now, just with the YouTube numbers that CJ brought us yesterday. And it it's really encouraging to see that we're back on a steady growth curve already, that people want to share this message, you want to grow this audience, you want to use this as a way to grow the freedom movement. I am I'm truly honored. That, that that's what's happening. And we saw what is it, 3.1 million views in the last 28 days. That's not impressions. That's actual. I think you have that switch. 3.1 million impressions, 1 million views. No, I looked. It was 3.1 oh. million views. I double-checked. I, I showed Sam yesterday. I was like. Hell, yeah. And 2,000 new subs. Now, I guess not that, that's not that great. A lot of the, a lot of the views, because we're doing a live show. Like, I used to only get, you know, I think our peak of, of Adam versus the man back in. Uh, 2013, I think, uh, you know, we were doing a couple million views a month. There's our, our YouTube peak, not our overall peak, but our YouTube peak when YouTube was still, then this is when YouTube started screwing up. I was doing 2 million views a month pretty consistently, you know, growth curve around there and, uh, getting $6,000, uh, $3 per thousand views was the standard. And it's still for, 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 you know, Channels that YouTube really likes, the favorite children of YouTube. Uh, and, and so, Jim, this, this brings me to my, my point here. You know, uh, we're not seeing the money through YouTube because of demonetization video by video. That's what they're doing now. And it's because we talk about corona. <gasps> the virus which shall not be named. And, and I, I was, see, I was going, I was poking around the back end. And uh, we're going to get to see, we're going to do producer notes at the end of the show today. We've got a really exciting guest lined up. My friend Roger Stone, and a lot of it, your friend? Your friend, Roger? And it's like, yeah, uh, Roger and I go back a ways. We did an event in, well, I mean, not a ways, I mean, in a few years. Uh, but we did an event together. Uh, he was the headliner, and I was the second headliner, I guess, of uh, a, a Fundraiser for the Bundy family when soon after they had just gotten arrested, the stand event in Las Vegas. If you remember the standoff, yes, and I love the stupid jokes. Not the Bunny Ranch in the bad of the Bundy Ranch. Yes, cattle ranch for family, very much uh, amazing activists standing up. And it was the standoff at the overpass. I'm also, uh, you know, good friends with a number of people who were involved in that. The sniper on the bridge. And a lot of people who were involved organizing the civil disobedience and uh, the candidate for governor, um, Cliven Bundy. So uh, that's you know that that was just how we met, and we got to hang out a little bit. And I, I got to give a shout out to Larry Hunt Lawrence of Henderson, uh, Nevada. That's that's one of the suburbs of Las Vegas. Uh, great dude, runs some some old school TV stations out there. And is is really quite the organizer activist himself. And he put this event together, was a great sponsor of it. And so uh, Roger and I, as the VIPs, got to hang out and have a limo ride together to the hotel and, and stuff like that. And so 
you know, we just we got and we we've been in touch since then, and we've just been you know text friends, and you know I, I, I'm sure he's using me for some nefarious Republican purpose. Like, and so you know, there, there, there's the threat with today's interview. Like, as a as a responsible libertarian journalist, I can't let Roger Stone just spew Trump propaganda unchallenged, right? But that's yeah, like I'm not worried that. Like, libertarians are going to watch my show and hear Roger Stone promote Trump and then go, oh, screw Joe Jorgensen, then I'm just going to vote for Donald. No, no, I, I have I have a lot more confidence in my audience than that, and I don't mind, you know, giving a platform. To, and I, I don't even know if he's support. I mean, now that he's got the commutation of his sentence, and we're going to go over uh, with him, you know, his current legal situation, all this, but he was just commuted by President Trump. Uh, he was sentenced to 40 months in federal prison for seven felonies that, that were all, and I want to say victimless crimes. And, you know, I, and I, well, maybe we'll get into this with him, but, you know, the, do you want to impose, like, if, if a Republican cheats a Democrat, and you get red flavored evil instead of blue flavored evil. Would you say that the Democrat is a victim because they don't get to occupy that seat of power? Eh, no, I don't. I don't think so. So you know, like obviously there are way more complex elements in this, and, and Roger Stone is known as the dirty trickster and, and has been, you know, open about public dishonesty tactics, right? So I, I, I almost wanted to start the interview with like, well. Uh, how do we know we can trust anything that you have to say? But, you know, I, I, I think that regardless, he's a, he's a brilliant, important, current historical figure. I mean, you can see, he's a man who is, uh, you know, what he's doing with Trump or what he's done with Trump is, I don't even want to say the culmination of his career because you know, he's got so many other things he's probably had a bigger impact on American history with. Uh, but this is like, my, I mean, I... I don't want to say punctuation mark at the end of his career, but if he if he turns towards libertarianism at this point, it would be the punctuation on that that part of his career and and turning a page to something a lot more righteous. He he, he tells me he's a self-identified libertarian because he doesn't like being told what to do, and I generally believe him. Now, does he have some other political ideology that's not quite libertarian? Oh yeah, yeah for sure. And as a Trump supporter, um, you know. But I, generally, I, I want to be encouraging of someone like this. You know, win, win him over to a more righteous side and consider, you know, I mean, I know he's a smart dude. He's a really smart dude. He's entertaining, insightful. It's going to be a fun interview. Um, Jim, uh, we're not doing a contest today because we only got an hour to do this. We've got Roger for a whole hour. Um, but, yeah, what? Uh, anything in the comments so far? People, I, I mean, I've got I've got some questions lined up for, for Roger. I uh, posted it on Oh, I didn't. I did not check Facebook. Um, see if there were any good questions there. I'll check in there real quick while you do some comments. But yeah, I've got. Uh, I want to thank everybody on on Instagram uh, who chimed in, and uh, you know, let me know what what questions uh, were important for Roger Stones. We had a, we had a really fun grab bag, included some of the troll questions in here, yeah. and uh, especially for those in our producers club, because even though we are doing really well by the numbers on YouTube right now. We're not making the money off of it. And if you, I, I don't I guess no, this isn't public, but maybe uh, 
Uh, I don't see, I mean, CD doesn't want to put some of this back end stuff up, but uh, if people really care, you know, I, I'll do a screen grab of like what our videos look like. That, and, and CJ has to appeal every ruling and go, oh, please, please, YouTube, let us monetize this. And, you know, it's not, it's not just about the money. Um, it, it, it's sort of about the fairness of the distribution service that the platform represents of having an honest subscription box and, and being, you know, having a fair shake in search results, that kind of thing. And when you're demonetized, you're deprioritized as well. And it, it really is, it, you know, censorship, you can, and, and you can define it as government only. If it's not government, okay, well, then I'm going to amend the term and say, Private censorship, you know, it, it's it's sort of ethically legitimate. If I say, Jim, don't say fuck on my property while you're here, you're not allowed to say fuck, and if you do, I'm going to kick you off. Like, but that's an assertion of property rights. You know, it's not it's not like saying you can't say something. Um, and 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 you can apply that to social media, right? And say, well, they're private companies, and and even that, I want to challenge that because they're the products of corporatism. They're they're corporations that have been given special government privileges. And in that sense, when those privileges come out of our hide, if only because we are directly taxed to support the institutions that through regulations hold these businesses accountable, we're we're paying for that. You know, in that sense, you do have a claim as a... Man, I've never made this argument before. Is this just occurring to me now? In a sense, ethically... I mean, I don't want to stand by this. I'm thinking through it for the first time, really. But if you're a taxpayer... And a corporation receives benefits that are paid for with money that you paid in taxes or, the, you know, went into the big pool and came out of the big pool. You have a unique claim to that. Is it really private property at that point? Obviously, I, would, I wouldn't try to in any material way deny the what, – to what extent there is a legitimate ownership through corporate stocks and, and contracts and, and all of that. Uh, but there, at very least, the censorship, the, the private censorship of social media companies represents a fraud. And it is a fraud aided by government corporatism. That's not interpretation. That's that's straightforward analysis statement of fact. And, uh, yeah, it's it's something that we, we really do have to combat and, and be conscientiously engaged with. But, you know, with the numbers going up, I want to say, like, it's awesome to hear that, like, over the years, the audience has been listening. When I say, like, independent media is awesome, this technology is amazing, that we can communicate and broadcast like this, unreal, that I have a team behind me with this message, that we have a producer making the show happen with C.J. Abernathy, Internet Warlords in uh, South Dakota, that we have Jim here in studio, boom, on screen. And it's because the audience is, is listening, they're active and engaged. And so while the numbers on YouTube are going up, we're seeing that right away, that's a good early indicator. Because a lagging indicator of the audience is people signing up for Patreon. Put your money where your eyes and ears are. Support independent media. We need your help. $1 a month, $5 a month, that's all great. $10 a month, that's where it's at. That's the producer club status. That's what you want. That's where we do the editorial prep for the show and connect with people who, you know, really want to have a stake in being involved. And it's, it's, a, really, it's a really cool system. I've, I've never had – I mean, we've had stuff like this, but I've never had this – direct mechanism with with the telegram group chat and basically having uh right now active in there it's it's what is it 20 people uh 20 30 yeah 20 is there 22 yeah it's it's not that many people we have a lot of people who are ten dollar patrons who don't join the telegram chat and that's cool too like you just want to give us ten dollars a month and call yourself a producer reserve the right for whenever you want to join us 
without, you know, your phone blowing up. You don't, but the people who are involved in that conversation right now are a really critical part of making the show a success and growing the audience and, and making sure that, uh, I don't miss things, you know, from an editorial perspective. I don't have a team of writers and editorial assistants, and we'd love to build out to that point. Maybe, maybe have, uh, some interns out here, some more staff. When we get to that point, we're getting our studio coming, the Freedom Factory. Super excited about this. It's a Premier Buildings product, PremierBuildings.us. So far, happy to plug them. I went over to unpaid promotion, unpaid unpaid review here. Uh, went over, we went over yesterday to Peter and Helen Yaple's uh, home shell that they've got set up uh, about an hour west of here, and uh, just past Seligman, Arizona, and uh, it's, it's a sturdy building. It's exactly what I expected. It's not luxurious. It's not super rugged, but it's what you need quality mm-hmm. outdoor building. And it's rated by international building standards, you know, whatever. I don't know what that is. I don't, I mean, I don't, I don't know what authority is by that. I think the international one is a little more voluntary than like local government building codes, but they generally exceed them. And, and what the April said was that because it has that international, international. code stamp of approval, Yavapai has to accept it, and they're they're also like us in Yavapai County. So, Jim, uh, any thoughts on Producers Club or Patreon or comments you want to share uh, early in the show today? Yeah, really quick, I like to point out specifically that if you were a ten dollar patron and we have a great show like Roger Stone today, you could end up clicking the Streamyard chat and being backstage, and you can chat in the private chat with him when he's backstage waiting to talk to you. It's just an extra perk of the producer's club. Gets you access to the backstage for the big interviews, you know. Uh, as far as comments go, Bill Schmidt on Facebook, he says, I love you, Adam. You inspired me to build a studio myself. Right. That's awesome. Well, the thing is, I've, I've got like three or four studios here. Just none of them are legit. Like, yeah, right now, like it's, we have, we have, I mean, our two best studios here really are this one, the Freedom Wagon. Yeah. Our Retro Week, we made it. Yeah. Retro Week, complete first one at least. Uh, we don't know how long we're going to be in here. Really, I might be till till the Freedom Factory rushes. We have to. We got four, six to eight. Oh, six. To yeah, eight. Uh, six to eight. Well, now minus one. Now, now it's five to seven weeks from from Monday. <laughs> Who get for being too optimistic? But yeah, it's coming. I got another uh, comparison here. I can chalk up on the list. Wayne Scobie says, "Who let Bob Seger on the set?" <laughs> All right. So someone, someone in the comments also said I should ask, um, ask him about Epstein and uh, Ghislaine Maxwell and Trump. That's ooh, yeah. And uh, the Brooks Brothers riot. We're going to get into that as well. We're going to have a lot of fun with this. All right. Any, any other? We got a whole hour, so it's, it's going to be a good one. Yeah. Yep. Let's do it. All right. Well, hold on. Let me see. Let me just... Is there a message in here I need to get to? Okay, no. All right. So let's jump into the headlines then, shall we? We're going to do some headlines. Come back to our... Uh... Wait. Hold on. There's one question I have to share here from Facebook. Okay. Chase Oliver, if you had to fight one duck the size of a horse or 50 duck-sized horses, which would you choose to fight? Uh, I I think I'll just go ahead and answer this for Roger Stone because I think the answer is obvious. A horse-sized duck 
could fuck you up. 50 duck-sized horses just kick them out of the way like pigeons. Boom, 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 boom. I mean, I'm, I say this as a as a as a vegan animal. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. Um, Gently them <laughs> out of the way. <laughs> All right. So the headlines. Uh, let's see. Where are we? All right. Our first one today. Our first headline today comes from the Daily Beast. With this fly in my face again. All right. Our first headline from the Daily Beast: Riots in the rubble. Beirut explodes in violence. Protesters gasped after deadly blast. Anguish has turned to anger in the Lebanese capital with police using tear gas on protesters out on the streets to demand transparency over deadly port explosion. Now, there's a lot that's telling about this. And before I get into this story in a little more detail, I want to point out a few things. Because I released this video. We did our coverage to say this is the, the full story of the Beirut blast. And I know it's it's not. Like, yeah, there's always going to be more to it, but that was part of what I said in there. And it was a complete analysis. It, like, there are going to be follow-ups in terms of what happens in Beirut, the government response, the policy response, what happens with France, with Macron looking like he's trying to start a revolution over there, right? And, you know, hmm, a, a neo-neo-imperialism emerges from the new political reality of the world with the Internet. And, uh, like, let's let's just go over first what we know we know. Because there are known knowns, and there are known unknowns, and there are unknown unknowns, right? Okay, so we know, generally from the videos, we can be confident that this big explosion happened. We can be reasonably certain from the way that the Lebanese government is talking about this and that no one has questioned general public records that there was a stash of ammonium nitrate stored improperly at a government port because it had been seized by customs, right? Jim, I, I mean, I'm not, correct me if I'm wrong, that's not really in dispute, right? And so th- there have been a lot of different conspiracy theories already around this, you know, and, and none of them are saying, well, there's always crazy ones like, no, the whole thing was a bomb. It was still a nuke. And it's like, no, no, no. Just not plausible shit, given what we know we know. Now, that uncertainty comes into, how did it start? Right? And so I've seen people promoting videos and some of these crazy, like, uh, conspiracy theories that there was a, um, a missile that came down. There's a video from the other angle, that, and it's like, no. I, first of all, I'm more inclined to believe that that's, like, edited in. That someone's just trying to, like, and you, right away with something like this, you see people politicizing it, right? Everybody wants to not only view this through, but use this as a bludgeon to support their ideology. And I think the thing that's undeniable about this, the government is at fault for creating the the situation, for being irresponsible with the storage of this ammonium nitrate. Now, could it have been sparked by a, a total accident, right? It could have been, could have been a welder. Uh, that was one of the theories, one of the reports that we've seen. But would, would you ever trust that, right? What, what if the government did it deliberately? Because you get one of the possible, there are some possible theories here as to what set this off, right? And now that we're seeing France get involved, you go, mm, yeah. I mean, it could still just be an accident. That they're taking advantage of politically, right? I mean, 
and never ascribe to conspiracy that which can be adequately explained by greed and incompetence, right? It might just be opportunism. And it really doesn't matter, right? And now, I want, I want to sort of remember, 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 the, the, the core takeaways that, that we need from this going forward. One, the, the government of Lebanon sucks. Okay, we knew, yeah, we already knew that, right? But no, now we know, and now the people of Lebanon have a unique motivation to say, mm, no fucking way. No, no, sorry, we're not putting up with this shit anymore. And that's what we're seeing, right? As we covered yesterday with Macron touring the blast site and talking to victims and hugging and offering. And, you know, we actually said he came out, like, directly, publicly. This is kind of, kind of blatant to say, you know, you guys should have uh, some political change as a result of this. So the other big takeaway is France should have no special power over the reformed Lebanon that comes out of that. And and real support for the people of Lebanon as they're going through the political change that's going to come out of this is making sure that they don't get the standard corruption of imperialism. Police in the Lebanese capital of Beirut used tear gas on protesters who took to the streets Thursday night to demand accountability over the monstrous Tuesday explosion that killed at least 150 people and injured more than 5,000. Small fires were set in front of the main parliament hall, and angry people threw rubble from the blast at police and riot gear. A paper trail shows how government officials ignored warnings for more than six years about the 2,750 metric tons of ammonium nitrate that was carelessly stored in a port hangar before it detonated has led to widespread calls for an independent investigation into the blast. Prosecutors have detained 16 port staff over the incident, but no government officials have yet been formally implicated despite allegations that they ignored requests to remove the explosives from the city's main port. Lebanon's new prime minister, Hassan Diab, promised that those found responsible would pay a heavy price. Look in the mirror, asshole. Uh, but let, let's just also look at the, the contrast in what is justice here, right? That, that they've detained. From the reports we had yesterday, that was house arrest. I think I, I'm I don't know which it is, <clears throat> but you when, when someone is responsible for hundred a hundred deaths, even by negligence or a significant suspect, you. you you handle that approach. You, you detain them. You, you, this is where, like, you know, it's a matter of justice, even real justice by libertarians. And I don't like that government is the mechanism of this. I'm not promoting that at all. <clears throat> but even in an, an ideal society, a, a, an ethical society, you don't give someone as a suspect in a crime as serious as this the opportunity to avoid justice, to evade justice, because. Uh, even, you know, the negligent homicide of, of 100 people and the destruction that, that this blast represented. I'm starting to think the numbers were a little bit exaggerated. The government, what did they come up with? $3 billion worth of damage? Mm, sounds like a typical government exaggeration looking for aid, right? Foreign aid. Stealing from poor people in rich countries to give to rich people in poor countries. So there's a lot of corruption. There are a lot of 
you know, corrupt incentives and elements around the story. Um, so Lebanon's new prime minister, oh, sorry, uh, at least two Lebanese officials have resigned in a show of solidarity with protesters and to disassociate themselves from the government even before the deadly explosion. Protesters had regularly demonstrated against the alleged government corruption has led to economic failures in the country. The so-called October Revolution that started last fall led to violent clashes between demonstrators and police despite the COVID-19 pandemic. On Thursday, Beirut registered 255 new infections, marking the largest single-day increase, blah, 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 blah. International support has been swift in many among the Lebanese diaspora, which has tripled the in-country population of 5 million, have promised to aid in the rebuilding of the small nation. It's beautiful, beautiful uh, public response to this. But if I... If I could say something to the Lebanese government two days ago, I would say ride the wave, make concessions, and you can hold on to as much of your racket as possible that way. Right? Your guilt in this is undeniable. If you want to maintain your corrupt power system, you're going to have to face up to the facts, face up to the public demands for transparency, and concede some significant reforms. Don't worry, you can exaggerate them in the media and your propaganda. I mean, you can make it look really big. Like, like you know, the way the, the, the American government has done with cannabis, you know, legalization, you know, it, lo- it looks like it's a lot more legal, but the drug war hasn't really decreased that much in its viciousness. And in fact, it might go up or have, have gone up because the government's getting more money and they're actually arresting more people year over year for cannabis in, in the last few years. So, you know, okay, so Lebanon, you know, your government, it's, it's speaking to the Lebanese government, uh, that's that's what you should have done, but you already fucked it up. You tear gas. You, you didn't you didn't roll with it. You didn't you didn't identify with the people because you could have identified with the people and said yes. And you tried. Now you tried. The prime minister. Oh, let me talk to Mr. Diab. When when he said that you know we are going to ruthlessly pursue those who who did this and 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 well, promised those. When we find those responsible, they will pay a heavy price. Well, you could have identified, you could have maintained that attitude genuinely for just a, just, just a week longer even. Just suck it up. Suck it. Hold in the evil. Yeah, you screwed up. You, you want to preserve your racket here? Mm-mm. You, you really had to see, you needed to be marching with the protesters, Mr. Diab, and if you had done that, you said, yes. I am with you. I hear you. You are right. This happened because of a lack of government transparency and accountability. And as your prime minister, I apologize that I have not lived up to your expectations and that we have failed so miserably. And we will pursue those directly responsible. And I will do everything for the remainder of my term to regain your trust. And make sure that you have confidence in the Lebanese government. And we will pursue those responsible together as a unified country. And pretend that you could, you could have pretended that the government was like part of the people, really. I mean, that did, did you hear that, Jim? That was some really good government propaganda I was spewing right there, was it not? Like, that would have been the smart thing to do. But I'm sorry, Mr. Diab. You gassed protesters for this? Mm-mm. Nah, you fucked yourself. It's too late now. I am going to be following what's going on 
in Lebanon with a bag of popcorn over the next few months. This is going to be fun. Let's hope that France doesn't fuck it up for them and the rest of the world doesn't. I mean, I'm, I'm not hopeful, right? We live in a world where the CIA exists. <laughs> There's going to be meddling. But to the Lebanese people, enjoy this one. You're going to have fun. The next uh, at least few months, at least, if not few years, I mean, what would I, you want me to make the prediction here? That there's going to be a period of unrest and demand for the ne- for, for somewhere between three months and one or two years, maybe? I hope it doesn't last that long. I think it'll be, I'm guessing it'll be closer on the short side, like more like three to six months. You're going to see this period of, of upheaval and demand for change. And it's going to come to a breaking point. You're going to see some fundamental shift in the Lebanese government. I hope it's genuine because what often, I mean, it's so easy, right, to turn the government of Lebanon, to turn the country of Lebanon in a period of revolution like this to being more of a, you know, satellite nation of a first world country like like France or like the U.S. And if the American CIA gets involved, uh, it's not going to help the situation. We we got we have to genuinely support at this point. Excuse me, the 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 true right of a self determination of, of every Lebanese person, and uh, that, that yeah, that there's no collective right, but to to make sure that there is no foreign intervention that is going to lead to uh, a much greater government exploitation of Lebanon, as we've seen so many times throughout history that uh, big governments are able to step in and pervert these small governments reforming in order to serve the sponsors of big government. And in the case of the United States, that's usually the military-industrial complex. Yeah, uh, accidental explosion in Beirut. Now we got to look out for the U.S. military-industrial complex getting involved. Sad, but that's the world we live in. Best of luck to the Lebanese people. Really enjoy this. All right. Uh, we go now to Los Angeles with Deadline.com, Los Angeles coronavirus update. Mayor Eric Garcetti says DWP will shut off water and power at homes that throw large parties. This is so freaking offensive. I mean, it's uh, on on so many levels. Let me count the levels. The metaphysical level, the literal level, the physical level, the political level, the ethical level. I just, okay. Uh, this is, that was a bad Hannibal Burris reference. But, you know, no, really, on so many levels. This is, a, and I'm the first to say being offended is freaking bullshit, right? Like, no. But, really, you're doing this for people's health, so you're going to turn off utilities. I mean, so what if the virus is everything you say it is? Do people not have a right to go get the virus? You want like, do you, do do I not have a right? And I and I, I don't I'm not saying that I want to do this, but if, if we had a free market for medicine, this it would probably there there probably be um, a, a legit way to expose and quarantine yourself and get the antibodies without a dangerous vaccine, you know, or, or there'd be a, there'd be a process. I know there were a lot of people when this came out. They looked at the death rates, looked at their age rates. Well, this is you think about it. We should have done this a long time ago, right? I mean, you have to be, like we should have gone out and said, 
hey, everybody who's in the .0001% mortality range rate risk groups for this, get it, quarantine for two weeks, get it over with, and then you can't even be a carrier. Like, that might have been the right thing to do. I'm not saying it is. I'm not a scientist. I don't have the data to back that up. But I know that it's a possibility given the data that we do have that I have seen. But regardless, even if the data is wrong, do I have a right to be wrong with my own health? Do I have a right to make that decision for myself? Damn right I do. Because I own myself. You don't own me. And yet we have a government that operates as if it does. And this, it, this reminds me of the irrationality of the drug war. You know the cliché. Drugs might ruin your life, so if you ca- if we catch you with drugs, we're going to arrest you and ruin your life. It, it is so dishonest. They know this. They know that there's that cannabis. Like that, that, to what extent drugs are even a social problem as a health problem that they would be better dealt with? All the data, like it's Portugal. We'd be better off treating drugs as a public health issue rather than a legal issue. Why are government's favorite drugs legal, right? Alcohol, nicotine, and uh, what was the other, what's the other big one? Caffeine. Work hard, die young, and forget that you're a slave. Caffeine, nicotine, alcohol. Those are not drugs that challenge your attitude of subservience, they promote it. Marijuana, cannabis, has the opposite effect. Psychedelics certainly have the far opposite effect. And you have the right to decide what you put in your own body. You have the right, on private property at least, to decide what risk level you want to accept in your life. You want to go to parties? Nobody should have the right to stop you. And and what they're doing is, this is, like, I'm not thinking, hey, oh, you got off power and water to somebody in Beverly Hills. Like, they're going to, uh, they're not going to die of thirst. <laughs> you know, like, I, I get it. It's not, it's not at that level. But it's like, you think this is good for people's health? So why is this a problem to the story uh, he called recent gatherings of mostly young people in the Hollywood Hills and Calabasas flagrant violations of health orders. You can issue health orders and then, do like, really, you have the right to order us around based on your health advice? I don't think that's how it works. Well, we have already closed all bars and nightclubs. These large house parties have essentially become nightclubs, said the mayor. He then indicated he would hold them to similar scrutiny, the same thing we would do with businesses. Yeah, you don't respect individual rights in people's residences or places of business. Surprise, surprise. If the LAPD responds to repeated complaints and verifies that there have been violations at home, the city will, within 48 hours, have the DWP shut off service at that home. Now, first of all, I go, how fucking inefficient is government? It takes you 48 hours? What if there was a hostage situation where you had to go? Because you know, I guess they would go and clip lines. But by this methodology, it still takes it like, oh, well, you can party for another 48 hours. You you can spread the virus for another 48 hours, and then we're cutting the power, and you're going to have to spread the virus in the dark and pee outside in the bushes. <laughs> like, I mean, there's a certain silliness and futility of it as well, right? 
Garcetti also indicated that county health inspectors and other city reps would be on the lookout for violations. Oh, good. More make-work programs. Asked about the legal standing for his action, Garcetti said, you're breaking the law. Just as we can shut down bars breaking alcohol laws in places that are in criminal violations, we can shut them down. Not really firm ground, no. You're, you're going to extend standards of law of businesses to private residences and not just respect the fact that they're private. I guess, he, I guess he's making the case that they're operating as businesses without a license. But he said that city legal experts had vetted the measure and found it to be on firm legal ground. Oh, that's so reassuring. I hate to invoke, uh, you know, Godwin's law. But yeah, everything Hitler did was legal. Everything Pol Pot did, everything Mao did was legal. Oh, no, it's okay for us to do this because it, it's legal because we said so because we made the law. Really? The mayor said, we can actually do the power or water shutoff after a first violation, but we like to educate, not enforce. Really? Oh, my gosh. If anybody ever deserved to go fuck himself. Hmm. No, this isn't because education also means persuasion and presenting a case, and you haven't done that. You've gone with fake numbers, obvious lies, and propaganda about the virus as a justification for something that you have no right to do in the first place, Mayor Garcetti. And President Trump for declaring the national state of emergency. L.A. County Director of Public Health, Barbara Fair, these parties and gatherings hurt all of us. We ask that everyone make good decisions. Don't host large parties and don't attend one if you're invited. It's sort of like the libertarian thing. Don't like gay marriage? Don't get gay married. Don't like smoking pot or don't like pot? Don't smoke it. And you don't like freedom? Don't embrace it. That doesn't mean you have to take it from other people. And no, does it hurt all of us? No, they, they don't have the excuse of having flattened the curve anymore. Right? That's all gone. By, by all of their numbers and, and, and metrics and whatnot, they can't use that as an excuse for, for any of these policies. So what she says is because they create a lot of risk for transmission at activities that really are not essential. You're, oh, so you get to be the arbiter now of, of what's essential. Be, ah, I'll go back to Hitler. Because my friend Daniel Ace put it on his, his uh, Twitter right after they did this. He changed his Twitter profile page to a Star of David that said non-essential on it. Go, wow, yeah, that's some deep commentary just right there with that one word. But again, a lot of risk of transmission. Okay, no one is, you, you want to you know, arrest? I'd, I'd rather you say you can sue somebody for violating your personal space now coming within six feet of you if you're wearing like a six-foot barrier. Like, yeah, there's a new standard of personal space. There's, I know, Jim's rolling his eyes. I'm trying, but I'm trying to say like, look, if, 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 if this is the new expectation, if you are this scared, and you want the rest of humanity to recognize your precautions. Okay. You don't want me to stand within six feet of you. You want to wear some barrier. Like the guy with the pool floaties on his head at Walmart sticking out six feet in every direction. You want to be the crazy one. You get to be the crazy one. You want to be the one invoking that standard. You want to wear a mask. You want to say nobody without a mask allowed on my property? Hey, I respect your right to be wrong about this. But I do not respect you saying that you have a right to violate my rights. 
or anybody else's. And this is really dangerous. You know, and I, I do want to go back to this, you know, the, the, the whole mask thing and the policy, like, uh, about wearing masks proactively. If you wear a mask proactively, you are feeding into the fear and the paranoia. You are making it worse. And there's something else. There's another, like, just unintended consequence of this is that, and, and I think this goes forever now, because wearing masks in public have been, has been kind of normalized. Right. Even if they can just keep 10 percent of the population scared enough to, 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 or, you know, even infiltrated, whatever, in public, you know, have people out or keep the corporate policy of wearing masks. So that I mean, like they could do that. Right. They, it would be very easy for government right now to raise a new fear specter. The virus mutated. Right. They've already said that they've they've set themselves up to keep this going indefinitely. And all they have to do is keep Walmart policy. Like, if they did just this, right, if they just managed to keep Walmart policy as staff must wear masks and greeters offer them to people at the door, then it's normalized enough that child traffickers can now evade facial recognition in, 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 in person or a lot of detection. And... uh I had an interesting exchange about this on Twitter. Someone in the, in the producer's chat, Telegram, sent me a meme, and it's a, it's a child's face with a, with a black mask over it, or the blast black mask. It, it has uh, it has the text. I think I can pull this up real easy here. Um, let's see. I should I should have it. Um, yeah, this is it. A child in America is sixty six thousand six hundred sixty seven times more likely to be sold to human traffickers than die of COVID nineteen. In addition, your masks assist them in being transported undetected and unidentified to anyone. Now, the funny thing, where did that I, I said where did that number come from, and the person who shared it didn't know. I was like, you know what? It doesn't matter. This is kind of this is like math trolling. It's like math reverse trolling. Right, because so how did you get that number six hundred? Are you trying to say? And, and James Weeks, my friend, actually jumped in and said, "That can't be right." Are you trying to say that every child in America is a victim of child trafficking? Because there there have been sixty child deaths of COVID, and times six thousand uh, that would be four million times sixty six thousand or something like that. And I go, "That's not how math works. That's not what we're talking about, James." And then he starts he starts breaking it down and attacking the math of this. And I go, oh, James, I wish you could apply the same scrutiny to the COVID numbers. Ha ha, gotcha. See, like that was it. Just think about it for a second. And and more importantly, because okay, they say sixty children have died of coronavirus. If you assume it's it's one, or or how many? I, I assume this number is is like you know it's it's a obviously a, a divisor number of some round 100,000, right, 66,667. It's like two-thirds of 100,000, right? So maybe the, you know, what numbers do you want to use for this? How many, how, you know, what is a child versus a young adult versus a teenager? You know, what, what counts as child trafficking? What number do you include in that? Uh, and what numbers do you uh, apply for COVID-19? The thing is, COVID-19, even James was like, 60 children in America have died. I guarantee you it's a fuck ton more than that who are going to be sold to human traffickers. And it's worth pointing this out. That by by giving into this, you're feeding into the paranoia. You're making child trafficking easier. And the general exploitation of society. Remember, the super class 
things like this don't happen without their permission. They they want this. They they want to be the, the ability to to move people around in public with masks on. Or at least they're not against that being part of the new reality, the new normal. So there's why why do I do this? Like I, I told you, we're gonna we're gonna do a Corona block on Friday. You know, we're gonna get into this. Why? I mean, it's it's a dark cloud hanging over everything for a lot of reasons. You see that it's like it's it's direct negativity. It's it's direct economic hardship that is unjustified, unwarranted, unnecessary, and and is part of the general racket of government exploitation of the rich getting richer and the poor getting poor. Right? Government is working very well right now. They're doing their job. And when when I see that, yeah, it's offensive. And I want to attack the people who are going after this. But then there are the people who are going along with it out of good intentions. And I think most Americans who are wearing their masks, you know, so I'm, from what I see, and I'd love to see some data to back this up, but the majority are just kind of like, eh, conflict avoid and go along when my boss requires it. Well, if I have to, well, if it's being polite. But most of them, they don't care. I mean, even where we see masks mandatory, half the people are wearing them with their nose exposed. Or around their chin, even walking around stores. I'm wearing a mask. Like, yeah, like maybe it's you know what? I'm wearing a mask symbolically. Screw this silliness. Uh, but but with the, the I, I see these stories like getting st- shared on on Facebook of this town raised a thousand dollars to buy materials and a sewing machine for volunteers so that they could get everybody masks, and it's like. at the cost of putting that effort towards fighting pedophilia and human trafficking, at the cost of dealing with real health crises, the opioid epidemic, the obesity epidemic, all the the chronic health issues that, that Americans experience. And people will die. And this is always the case. I'm not saying this is special, but about right now, but it is exaggerated right now. People will die unnecessarily because humans have, in large chunks of the population, have had their attention misdirected. And and I do feel that an important part of what we do with this show is saving lives by calling attention to that and saying, no, no, no. Yes, you are right to be compassionate, to be responsive to human suffering. But people die needlessly when you let that most humane quality of yours be misdirected. So I've got a few more headlines here to skim through. From Bloomberg via MSN.com, U.S. worse off than Russia, Mexico in 2020 economic misery ranking. So it's not just that things are getting bad here in the United States, but as citizens of the empire compared to the rest of the world, it's actually getting relatively worse as well. The U.S. is projected to see the worst reversal of fortune this year in a ranking of global economic misery, underscoring just how much havoc the pandemic has wrought. America fell 25 spots from the number 50 spot to number 25 on Bloomberg's Misery Index, which tallies inflation and unemployment outlooks for 60 economies. The drop comes as President Donald Trump fights for re-election while millions of Americans remain unemployed. Only Iceland, Israel, and Panama 
we're even close to that level of deterioration in the annual rankings. Thursday's jobless claims, however, indicate a glimmer of improvement applications for U.S. unemployment benefits unexpectedly fell. And, CJ, if you hold that graph up for a second, misery split. The world's most and least miserable economies for 2020, according to the Bloomberg Misery Index. And this is uh, unemployment and inflation. So you see how the, how we're rated here, and there's all sorts of other you know, analysis that, that goes into this. Uh, number one in, Thai, in 2019 is Thailand, uh, also number one, 2020. Switzerland, number four, uh, prior number two. Um, let's see, wait, who's, who's number two on this? Oh, number two is Singapore, was number three. Number three is Japan, was number four. Number five is Malaysia, was number six. And uh, the United States fell from number... 50 to or, uh, 225, right? So they're going up in misery, right? That's the fall. Read more. All right, so almost all of the economies surveyed are projected to be more miserable this year amid COVID-19 with analysts expecting increased joblessness and tepid growth. Venezuela, Argentina, South Africa, and Turkey held on to their unenviable rankings from 2019 as the world's foremost miserable economies with Venezuela keeping status as the world's worst uh, worse for a sixth straight year. The troubled South American country continues to suffer from soaring prices with Bloomberg's Cafe Con Leche Index estimating a current inflation rate of 4,043%. Thailand claimed the title of the least miserable economy, though the government's unique way of tallying unemployment makes it less noteworthy than Taiwan's two-spot improvement to number six or Singapore's bump to number two on that scale. So, I mean, the point of this is it's understanding that the amount of economic havoc the government in the United States has been able uh, to, to rain down on the American people with the corona as the excuse, uh, they are, it, it's, just, it's, it's a standout even in the world of, of how much more we are suffering. I think this is really important to understand just the mood of America right now and also in the near and midterm future as the illusion of the V-shaped recovery disappears. So our next story from heraldmailmedia.com from the Philadelphia Inquirer, cancer diagnoses plummet during COVID-19 and experts fear that could mean worse disease later. Yeah, I hate to have to go back and do another the cure is worse than the disease story because we can look at this from two angles, right? There's the economic and there's the actual public health. And they're both freaking horrific. They're there's you even if you even if you want to like discount all of the economic stuff and say, "You know what? I value human life so much. I don't care if the materialism decreases." But that's not in line with reality anyway, because that is materialism that supports life. That material wealth is life-saving operations and medicines and treatments and, and, and quality of life and better food for people and, and, you know, all of those things for quality of life. So this cancer diagnosis, <clears throat> uh, this is another one of these indicators where you're going to see, you know, a kind of lagging indicator of the cure being worse than the disease. 
one of the things that we've seen, we've covered this, and, and I, I, I look forward to it, not in a morbid way, but in a like, hey, we really got to cover this kind of way. The data that we're going to be seeing, uh, I, I think hopefully in the next few weeks, if I had to guess, that we would have uh, some better data on suicides. So far, all I've seen is uh, limited geographic data, although pretty pretty decisive proof in those areas, at least, that suicides are outstripping corona deaths already. I mean, that should be enough. Like, why? Are, and, and by the way, none of the suicides are, oh, my God, I'm so afraid that I might get corona. N- no. No, it's, it's the stress, the strain, the economic hardship. It's a lot of people with mental health disorders, right? You think of just, I mean, the state of mental health in this country as it is and the uh, relationship we have with uh, pharmaceutical psychotropics. Is that the word? Just psychological pharmaceuticals. You know what I'm getting at here. Um, all, all, all these drugs that people are dependent on, at least for mood stability, if not mental health, you know, because they're, they're overprescribed. Uh, I'm not endorsing this. But I'm saying that shaking that system up by limiting people's access to medication to their fellow human beings, the people who have anxiety disorders, anger disorders, all the different things that stress people out that are exacerbated by lockdowns, shutdowns, and economic depravity. You think a lot – I mean, how many crazy people out there are on the verge of suicide and then – their jobs disappeared. Yeah. So to the cancer story, diagnoses of six common cancer types dropped in the early months of the coronavirus pandemic as routine screens were postponed by health systems and patients avoided going to the doctor for fear of contracting the virus, a new study suggests. The study, an analysis of Quest Diagnostics data published off, uh, online in the journal of the American Medical Association Network Open found that new diagnoses of breast, colorectal, lung, pancreatic, gastric, and esophageal cancers were down 46% between March 1 and April 18 of this year compared with the average diagnosis rate from previous years. Just to make this clear, like, they're talking about testing. Oh, we got to get the test done. We gotta, well, cancer testing now is down, like, down to the point where they are not finding half the cancer diagnoses that they normally do. You don't think that's going to have some kind of consequence down the road? I'm not angry about masks. I'm angry that you're getting people killed with this policy. Even now, it says patients are beginning to return for appointments. Now the doctor's offices and hospitals have resumed non-urgent procedures. Like, just having to put off non-urgent procedures for months. It's going to get a lot of people. It has already gotten a lot of people killed, probably more than the virus. But many patients are still wary of exposure to the virus and have continued to delay care. That's going to happen. It's going to be a problem for a long time. Kaufman said the latest research on delayed cancer diagnosis is an urgent reminder of why routine cancer screenings such as colonoscopies and mammograms are so important. As he said, we need healthcare to reach out to patients and invite them back in. If there are opportunities to expand hours. Use telemedicine to connect. We need to think of clever ways to engage patients and bring them back. So I want to end this story with just a positive note as a reminder to look out for your own health. Look out for the health of those around you. Know that the medical industry is not supporting the public health the way it normally is, and we have to be more proactive, especially with mental health, making sure that our friends, neighbors, relatives – are getting the care and support that they need, that if you have someone who's isolated and is alone, that you go and reach out to them. If you have a neighbor who has maybe elderly, has health risks, and they've been scared about the coronavirus, 
find a way to either alleviate their fears, put them in perspective, or, you know, just go over the top and get them full PPE and get them in to get that cancer screening if that's what it is that they need. Oh, man, I'm getting – when do I have to start getting colonoscopies? At what age? I'm, I shouldn't be saying this. I have no idea. Because that's what this means for me, Adam. Don't let the coronavirus stop a doctor from sticking a finger in your butt to check your prostate and – a telescope to make sure there's no polyps in there and what yeah i'm getting to that age all right but seriously take charge be responsible for your own health jim uh we're about to get to roger stone any burning comments here yes sir uh well real quick just something i thought you'd like someone uh marco demirio was watching a video of yours uploaded 13 years ago and then when he the next video was you being live <laughs> hey all right yeah, yeah. Well, no, that's great. I mean, that's the YouTube algorithm sort of working in a, I mean, the suggested videos concept. Like, yeah, that's good, but it's also a tool for them to manipulate the flow of content on the platform. Uh, so, oh, well, all right, we got an example of it working. We are so strong. We're getting so many new views and subscribers now that we are actually really getting some momentum even within the YouTube algorithm, although still heavily demonetized. So, yeah, smash that subscribe button, set up notifications, and more importantly, know that we are live Monday through Friday. We've been pretty consistent about getting started on time lately. We're a minute or two late sometimes. One of the things CJ's building out to is like an hour-long pre-show that's going to play. Very, very cool, very slick, and you'll know that we're going live. But, yeah, join us live, please, Monday, Friday, 9 to 11. All right, is our guest with us in studio, Uh, CJ? Yes, he's with us. All right, let's bring Roger Stone on stage. Yes, we are. Ladies and gentlemen, our guest today is the infamous Roger Stone. I'm a big fan for a lot of reasons. I, I consider Roger a personal friend, so don't expect me to be too harsh on him today. But regardless of your opinion of Roger Stone, you cannot deny his brilliance, his significance, his role in modern American politics, and the beautiful spirit of rebelliousness to authority that he brings to the conversation, especially after his recent legal battles, loss, and final victory. Roger, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you doing, brother? I don't mind. I don't mind. mind. We're having an issue with your audio, I believe. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, there we go. There we go. All right. Take there it away, go. sir. Uh, Tony, I'm ready for the technological challenge to get with you, but I'm delighted to be here. Uh, and um, let me start off by saying that I'm uh, I'm disappointed that your candidacy as the Libertarian Party candidate for president did not succeed because it would have been nice to offer the voters an actual choice. Uh, that is not to say that I am not uh, committed to Donald Trump because I am. He literally spared my life when the oppressive deep state, uh, contrary to all legal precedents, contrary to their own rules and regulations, contrary to the facts regarding my age and my health, and contrary to uh, the uh, the situation in the correctional facility they wanted to send me to, was intent on sending me uh, to my death. In other words, the prison they were insisting that I be sent to, I challenged this twice in court and lost, 
um, had uh, had multiple, at that point, over 100 cases of COVID-19. This prison, in the week before I was to uh, surrender, released a child pornographer, uh, a, a, a serial rapist, an armed bank robber, uh, and a pedophile to protect them from COVID-19. But Roger Stone uh, needs to be incarcerated immediately. In other words, the Department of Justice and Bureau of Prisons policy of taking people convicted of nonviolent crimes and moving them to home incarceration or home confinement or to, ser- uh, to time served, if you're already in, that policy applied to everybody in the country, in every uh, judicial circuit in the country, except for Roger Stone. That's how dangerous I am to the deep state. That's how dangerous I am to the entrenched interests. So if anything, I may be now more radicalized than you are. I mean, I I have seen this experience before, uh, and the judicial system in the United States, sadly, is a joke. The notion of a fair trial by a jury of your peers, it may appear in the Constitution, but don't expect it because you won't get it. And when you appeal, you would think that going higher in the judicial system would get you a fairer hearing uh, or fairer consideration. You can forget that as well because the upper courts are loath to uh, overrule their colleagues on the lower courts. The only person in the country who's gotten screwed worse than me is General Michael Flynn. They made up his completely whole cloth. Uh, With indisputable evidence that he committed no crimes whatsoever and that he was completely set up, the, the, the federal judge in his case, Emmett Sullivan, still refuses to, to dismiss the charges. In fact, in an extraordinary act of abuse of power, he has, with no legal authority whatsoever, appointed a new special counsel to determine whether Flynn should now be charged with perjury because he gave in to government pressure to plead guilty to a crime he didn't commit because they were threatening to go after his son. I mean, it just boggles the mind. This boggles the mind. I didn't expect to get into this right away, uh, but I, I, since you I, and, I, and I appreciate the, the whole summary of, of where you're at right now. And you know, again, congratulations for having gotten to this point. But I, I'm, and I don't blame you, even if you don't believe in it, for playing the COVID card to get out of incarceration. But you don't believe all this crap, do you? Do you really believe that the coronavirus is as big a threat as government uh, says? No, I don't. I do believe that it is a threat when you're 67 years old and you have underlying conditions of uh, asthma, which I've had my entire life. I mean, look, my son is a police officer. I know people who have died from this. I think the virus is real. I don't think it is as contagious as they tell us. I don't think that it that it that it is the public health danger that they tell us. Uh, I think it is probably no more dangerous than the flu. But that's not the question. The question was whether I particularly was vulnerable. My, I've had the same position for 25 years. He believes that my physical condition, while generally good, but with underlying problems that are all respiratory, would make me vulnerable. But let's be very clear. Trump commuted my sentence on two grounds. One, it was the humanitarian grounds of mercy. I probably would have died in prison 
And the purpose of that is to make sure my appeal is never heard. Because if I ever get to a fair court on appeal, they all get exposed, every one of them, including the Democrats in Congress. Secondarily, uh, he understood that I did not get even the minimum uh, of a fair trial. I had a deeply biased judge. I had a jury forewoman who was caught red-handed attacking me on social media in 2019, keeping those posts on a private setting during jury selection in my trial, and then erasing them, deleting them after the trial. But the judge said that didn't show any evidence of bias. What planet does she live on? Uh, I had a juror that could have been the Clinton-Obama administration alumni reunion party. Uh, There were no Republicans. There were no conservatives. There were no libertarians. There were no military veterans. There were no independents. Uh, there were there were certainly no conservatives. There were no free thinkers. I mean, it was a lockstep uh, Hillary Clinton uh, loving, Donald Trump hating jury. Uh, their minds were made up long before they even entered the courtroom. Uh, it's a mockery. Uh, the system is really badly, badly broken. And then, of course, as soon as I was commuted, they go back and they recycle the same bullshit all over again. Stone was a Russian spy. No, I'm not. Uh, we, Stone was in touch with Russian intelligence. No, I wasn't. Uh, Stone uh, was covering up for Trump and he made a deal. He blackmailed Trump for clemency in return for his silence. There is no evidence of that whatsoever because it's not true. Uh, it, it is a, it's a broken system and the, the government uh, and the two-party duopoly, which are sadly, even though I'm a, you know, uh, I'm a birthright Republican, but the two parties work together uh, to uh, to uh, clamp down on the freedom of the people, uh, and they are in lockstep with the corporate-owned media. This is one entity. They move together. Now suddenly, you have uh, all of these um, former prosecutors coming forward saying. Roger Stone can be retried. Roger Stone is a Russian. We're all the way back at the beginning. They had $30 million and three years to prove any of this nonsense, and they couldn't prove any of it. But now they're saying we need to investigate again. In fact, Andrew Weissman, who's a particularly vile little weasel, says we should take Stone in front of the grand jury. We should drag him in front of the grand jury. Jackass, you had three years to take me to the grand jury. You never called because you have nothing. You keep trying to make stuff up. It's very dangerous to be controversial in America today. You know that. It's very dangerous to just speak your mind. It's we're in this very, very scary place. Well, speaking of which, I think we're in a uniquely scary place because of the coronavirus. There's a, a cloud hanging over really the whole world right now. And if you say that the virus is, I, I mean, I think you said it was, it was overblown. The threat, you acknowledge the threat is largely overblown. And that, you know, it's, it's really only a significant risk to people who have specific, you know, health factors that go into that. How can you support Donald Trump still after having declared a state of emergency, increase government spending radically as a result, and, and enabled and emboldened all of the shutdowns that are being carried out by governors with that national state of emergency, when you, you have someone who actually cares about freedom with Joe Jorgensen as an alternative. First of all, I've never heard <laughs> the libertarians are nominated, and I'm highly confident that he can't raise five bucks, which means he will never be competitive. Uh, this is why they should have nominated you. Uh, 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 Joe is a female 
She's a great, she's a genuine, principled, philosophical libertarian. Yes, I, I appreciate the kind words that localization would have been a more significant, uh, you know, alternative to this. But you know that there's an alternative when Trump is so bad on all this. Well, no, he's actually better than the alternative, which is Joe Biden. First of all, I think you recognize we have a 40-year personal relationship. And right now I would be in a dank, squalid federal prison in Georgia eating bologna sandwiches and looking forward to dying. So uh, I thought his, uh, his decision to commute my sentence in an election year was an incredibly courageous uh, thing to do. It was the morally right thing to do. Uh, and I'm no happier with some of his policies, or I should say some of the bad advice that he's been given than you are. But only one of two people is going to be president after this election. It is either going to be Donald Trump or it is going to be Joe Biden. Uh, and I think the president has learned a great deal in his first term. Uh, you cannot argue with his economic success, cutting regulations and cutting taxes, did build the most robust uh, and the most vibrant economy in our history. In this particular case, I understand that he had no choice but to err on the side of caution. He's not a scientist. The projections, thank God, turned out to be wrong, but he had to take them seriously. Now, if we have a second shutdown, which he clearly opposes, that would be a different story. But I don't think he's going to do that. Uh, and uh, we still have a, a irresponsible mainstream media beating the drum to make this pandemic seem more dangerous than it is. Again, I'm not saying that the Chinese virus is a hoax. I don't think it is a hoax, but I don't think it is. It has posed the, the problem that the uh, that those who have a vested interest in scare tactics uh, tell us it did. So when Russia failed and then Ukraine failed, they took advantage of something that is real, unlike those scandals, um, but they have tried to benefit uh, from uh, from the public fear. We both know that this leads to mandatory vaccination. Well, let me give you a hint. No way. Not a chance. Even for me. And I think I'm vulnerable. I'm just not taking a vaccination developed by Bill Gates. Uh, I, I don't think it's safe. Uh, but at the same time, it, it, this is designed to uh, disrupt the reelection of a guy who is uh, taken on the status quo in a number of areas. Is he perfect? No, but no one is perfect. Only he is perfect, and he just saved my life in the larger sense. So um, I'm going to stick with Trump. I, I believe in him. I think his instincts are good. That he's made some, but overall, America was safer and stronger and in many ways freer um, than it would be under Joe Biden. Joe Biden is a front man. Uh, he's a front man for the Obama group, the same people who got caught in the greatest abuse of power in American history, where they used the actual full authority of the government and the incredible capability of our intelligence agencies to literally spy on the Republican candidate for president and then used completely fabricated evidence that actually came from Russian intelligence, if you want the Russian collusion, there it is right there, uh, to gin up a coup attempt. Nobody who believes in free elections could possibly believe in that. So, um, uh, yes, I do not want to put the Obamas back in power. I do not want to put Susan Rice and Valerie Jarrett and Samantha Powers and James Comey and John Brennan and, and uh, James Clapper, this cabal of criminals, 
back in power. So I'm 100% for Donald Trump and proud of it. Well, I don't think I have to get into all the ways that our, our worldviews differ here, where I'm, I'm just as suspect of the criminals in red jumpsuits as the ones in blue jumpsuits. But I'm, I want to ask you some more interesting questions here. Uh, if you were Joe Jorgensen's campaign manager for whoever, uh, whoever the Libertarian nominee is, whether you know or not, what would you do with her campaign right now to have a breakout year for the Libertarian Party, even if you think an outright victory isn't possible? And I think if Roger Stone was, was managing a Libertarian presidential campaign, I think you could have a lot of serious impact. Maybe not this year, of course, but after Trump's second term, if, if, if you get your way here. Uh, do you think you could, Roger Stone, get a Libertarian elected president? What would it take? Who? Who? What's the candidate's name again? You see the problem? Well, see the problem? Right now it's Joe Jorgensen is the nominee. Yes, I, get I see what you're doing there. But, hey, we're repeating her name, aren't we? No, but, you know, what would you do to have a breakout year for the Libertarian Party this year or for 2024? You know, what would you want for a Libertarian candidate? And do you think you could – that soon? Is it even within the realm of even if if we had the genius of Roger Stone on our side in a post-Trump, as you would say, more freedom-oriented America, would it be possible to elect a libertarian for president? Well, I'd say two things. First of all, as you know, uh, in 2012, um, I bolted the party of Goldwater and Reagan. I bolted the party that I love, the party I grew up in which to me was the more conservative and therefore in many ways more libertarian of the two parties to support uh, Governor Gary Johnson, who had a very credible record as governor, helped him win the 2012 nomination because I could see that Mitt Romney was a big government, deep state phony from the beginning, nothing conservative or libertarian about him. His views were identical to those of Barack Obama. He just masked it a little bit. Uh, and therefore, um, and I'm not ashamed in any way of my association, however brief, with the Libertarian Party. But I did get to experience firsthand the structural and legal barriers to electing a Libertarian uh, or third party candidate for that matter. Now, it is interesting to me that in 2012, uh, Gary Johnson running in 49 states, uh, get, I think getting on the ballot in 48 states, I believe, uh, and therefore, more than able, theoretically, to win 270 electoral votes, should have been included in the debates, as should have the Green Party candidate, because she also got on the ballot in enough states to theoretically reach 270. That should be the threshold, not some artificial poll number that the Presidential Commission on Debates, which is not appointed by the president, is not a commission, and is not about debate, uh, decides to set. And then when Johnson did meet their threshold, they had a quick meeting of their board and they changed their threshold upward to make sure he wasn't in the debates. So if you can't, this is the chicken and, and the egg problem. You can't get well known unless you're in the debates and you can't get in the debates unless you are well known. That's a tough problem, which is one of the reasons why I have urged the president not to agree to the schedule uh, of the presidential commission on debates to set his own said schedule and make his own decisions as to who he thinks ought to be included uh, as a condition of his uh, uh, participation. Now, I've not made that recommendation privately. I've made it quite publicly, uh, but it is what I think he should do. Then you have the difficult problem of ballot access, which is, uh, as you know, an extraordinarily expensive 
and difficult problem. It's not an insurmountable problem, as Gary Johnson uh, proved twice. It is curious, however, why Johnson received almost no media attention in his 2012 bill bid, which to me was the more credible of his uh, campaigns. But in 2016, after he brought on the deep state quizzling Bill Weld, who's a friend of mine and a brilliant guy, but um, but deeply committed to the Clintons, uh, and hopefully getting uh, and hopefully getting no, Roger, ironic that I would say the same from my experience from having started my uh, nomination bid so early at the beginning phases of that it was like I was running against Weld and like it's weird to deal with a guy who is so gentlemanly. And, and direct and friendly and honest and, and in all of the other accounts, a great guy, and then does slimy shit like vouch for Hillary Clinton right before yeah, the election but, in 16. But you notice how yeah. much mainstream media coverage the Johnson Weld ticket got in 2016 that they didn't get in 2012 when he had a terrific running rate, Judge Jim Gray, who's a real libertarian, a real gentleman, who's been really one of the most effective spokesmen against the archaic, racist war on drugs, uh, but they could get no coverage. Now in 2016, when the mainstream media begins to believe that they're bleeding votes from Donald Trump, well, suddenly they get, you know, a town hall on CNN. They get extraordinary opportunities. And as much as I love Gary Johnson as a person, and I do, um, I don't think he makes maximum advantage of those media opportunities, which I was candidly happy about because I was deeply committed and had an antecedent commitment to Donald Trump. Uh, I don't think you're going to see much coverage of the minor party candidates uh, in this election. I don't think they're going to have an impact. Uh, until you can change the state ballot laws and until you can break this hammerlock on the debates, I don't see how the Libertarian Party breaks through. Assuming the Libertarian nominee, assuming the Libertarian Party that we maintain our 50-state ballot access or or enough to to have a plausible path to victory, would you say that that Joe Jorgensen should be allowed in the debates? And if she's not, what should we do to get her in the debates? Uh, I'm moving up on this question. If she is on the ballot in enough states uh, to uh, to acquire 270 electoral votes, then yes, I think that should be the criteria. Uh, I also think if the Green Party candidate meets that that threshold, that they should also be in the debates. I absolutely believe that uh, because I'm consistent. But at the same time, uh, the real battle ahead will remain within the Republican Party because post-Trump whether he wins or whether he loses, and I think in the end he will win, uh, although I'm worried about ballot fraud and I'm particularly worried about Internet uh, uh, censorship, uh, and I'm worried about the mainstream media regaining their stranglehold on the political narrative in this country, uh, the real battle will be again within the Republican Party. Does the Republican Party uh, go back to its country club roots uh, of being a vehicle to make money for the Bushes? Or does the party uh, move further uh, towards a reform agenda, taking the best elements of Donald Trump's platform and perhaps heading in a more libertarian direction uh, by nominating somebody like, I don't know, General Michael Flynn, for example, uh, who would be who meets the criteria of having universal name ID, being a real conservative, uh, believing in the liberty, believing in the Constitution, 
Um, I don't know if he is interested. He's been through the same horrific experience that I have at the hands of a vengeful, politically oriented prosecutor who wanted nothing more than to either flip me to get me to testify against Trump, which on March 14th of 2019, I simply refused to do. I mean, I most definitely could have lied. I want to be very clear because some on the left, Congressman Jerry Nadlier, for example, uh, Congressman Adam Schiff, uh, Congressman Eric Swallowswell, these guys have attempted to uh, pervert what I am saying. I'm not saying that I knew of misconduct by the president and refused to testify about it. What I'm saying is I refused to lie. I refused to to recite composed testimony to make some kind of deal for leniency in my own sentencing. I wouldn't do that. I simply refused. Uh, and that's why I faced, in essence, what was a death penalty uh, uh, and, and uh, the real danger of dying in prison. So thank God for the president's courage. But I do think the central fight, unfortunately, uh, and it's not that I didn't try the libertarian route and gave it everything I had, I think the central fight will be within the Republican Party to see whether the two parties will go back to being absolutely identical. I know you argue they are today, but they aren't. Uh, or whether one of the parties will offer a real alternative to the socialism, the globalist socialism uh, oppressive hand of big government that the Democrats now seem to be totally uh, bought into. Whatever happened to the Democratic Party of John F. Kennedy? that was anti-authoritarian and anti-communist. That party just doesn't exist anymore. Uh, what happened to the Republican Party of Ronald Reagan? And yes, I think Donald Trump. Well, we're going to find out soon. Uh, I, I'm praying for the president's re election. How about the party of Goldwater and Ron Paul? Say it again, I'm sorry. How about, I'm surprised you didn't reference Goldwater. Why not call it that? I mean, if you want to talk about it, the roots of the Republican Party as being more principally uh, grounded in smaller government, uh, why not reference Goldwater? And, and just as an aside here, what, what, what's your take on Dr. Ron Paul? Uh, well, let's take them one by one. Um, I often reference Goldwater because that's what brought me to American politics. That's why the idea of my being a Russian spy is so absurd. My relatives were mowed down by Russian tanks in Budapest in 1956. Anti-communism is what attracted me to the Republican Party, uh, the, the party of Goldwater, the party of, of Reagan, uh, now the party of Trump. Uh, I'm a fan of both Dr. Ron Paul. That's the last Republican I voted for in the Republican primaries before I became a libertarian. And I'm also a fan of his son, Rand Paul, who I think is a libertarian-oriented conservative as, as opposed to a pure libertarian, but he is anti-foreign uh, war. He's anti-spying on the American people. He stands up for civil liberties. Uh, you know, if I were in the U.S. Senate, I think my voting record would be very much like his. I think my agenda would be very much like his. I have no intention of running for the Senate right now, of course, as a convicted felon. I'm not eligible to run for the Senate, but it's important, by the way, to mention that I do feel my pain. I'm a children. I live in Arizona. I'm not allowed to vote in my home state of Arizona, but because the presidency is a constitutional office, it doesn't say you not being a felon is not a requirement to be president. Is there is there something else in the Senate? I'm pretty sure you could run for Senate. I, I think. I mean, I, I'd love to see you run for office. Yeah. I, well, you know, I have so many skeletons; they would be jumping out of the closet. There'd be, uh, it would be really, it would be entertaining. I'll say that the National Enquirer would have a field day. 
No, I'm uh, I'm committed to the mechanics of politics, as you know, to the to the use of the mechanics of politics to to pursue certain constitutional principles. I think you and I both uh, agree about. But that said, I think the Constitution and our democratic system is very much up for grabs. If uh, I expect the next election, I think the worst possible result, and unfortunately a a highly probable or at least possible result is that the next election will be nakedly stolen, that there will be such widespread voter fraud in so many states uh, that Donald Trump will not get a fair uh, election. Uh, And you can already see the Democrats trying to limit his ability to challenge the results, no matter how overwhelming the evidence may be. They're already saying Trump is going to lose and then refuse to leave office. You can they're, they're setting this up. Translation, we intend to steal this, and we don't want him to, to challenge our theft. Challenge our theft. setting him up as well if he loses to be able to blame voter fraud. But I, 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 go, I want my audience to like you as much as I do. And, and when, when we first ha- hung out, you told me that you're, you're a libertarian at heart and in spirit because you don't like being told what to do. And I, and I, and you know, I, I want to recommend everybody – Watch the documentary, Get Me Roger Stone, Netflix. It's a brilliant uh, just coverage of the man and, and just a you know, portrayal of how compelling your personality is. And I think it backs up your, your general assertion. I mean, I believe you. I, I, there are a lot of people who, who bullshit as conservatives or Republicans. Oh, yes, I'm, I'm really libertarian at heart. I, I do believe you in that. And I, I, and I, want, uh, you know, I want my audience to appreciate that. But what does it mean? You said earlier that you were radicalized by your experience recently with the legal system. But also, like, how does that relate for you to identifying as a libertarian? Do you still apply that term to yourself? Oh, no question about it. I mean, I, I am I am more sour on uh, on the realities of our democracy today than ever, because I have seen I've been through this meat grinder. It's really extraordinary. So you get charged with a federal crime, which is a nonviolent process crime. But while you're on trial, the judge takes away your free speech rights. So you can't defend yourself. Where is that in the Constitution? I can't seem to find that part in the Constitution where they're allowed to do that. Or, in my case, the judge rules that I cannot raise the issue of misconduct by the Office of Special Counsel or the FBI or the Department of Justice or any member of Congress in my defense, even though the Supreme Court has ruled that the uh, that the uh, integrity of an investigation, uh, indictment or prosecution is always fair grounds for an issue on defense. doesn't matter. I can't argue selective prosecution that Mueller, Comey, Clapper, Brennan, Hillary or This list goes on and on. All lied to Congress. The difference between them and me, of course, is they lied about material matters. They lied about things of consequence. Um, In in my case, um, I made misstatements that were innocuous and hid no underlying crimes. Therefore, I had no intent. I went there voluntarily to begin with. Who who goes to a committee voluntarily and then lies under oath? The answer is no one. Uh, And then uh, this comes, as you know, after almost 16 months of reading and hearing, Roger Stone will be indicted for treason. Roger Stone will be indicted for espionage. Roger Stone will be indicted for conspiracy against the United States. Mail fraud, wire fraud, money laundering, 
And of course, no evidence of any of those crimes could be found, but that didn't stop several federal judges from uh, issuing search warrants that allowed the government to conduct a full legal proctological examination in every corner of my life. And they still had to hoke up lying to Congress in in an incredibly fraudulent, fabricated indictment, which I thought I could beat, but that's because I assumed that I would have a fair trial. I've already been through the flaws in my trial, but now you add on top of it, now that my sentence has been commuted, this this tsunami of disinformation. There's a there's a post from Hakeem Jeffries, who's an African American member of Congress from New York City. Roger Stone lied to cover up for Donald Trump. He can be reindicted January 21st. No, Hakeem, sorry, you have no evidence of that whatsoever. You couldn't prove it in a courtroom. Robert Mueller had three years and thirty million dollars to prove it. Stop saying it. It's not true. Now, whether or not they could recharge me, who knows? These people don't play by any rules. You now have Andrew Weissman, who was the de facto head of the Mueller investigation, openly calling on Department of Justice employees not to cooperate with the investigation into the entire Russian collusion hoax or the unmasking of officials in Trump's administration. I think that's called obstruction of justice. If I did it, that's certainly what they would be calling it. So we do have a two-tiered justice system. I guess that's what I was really getting at, that there is one system. There is one system. And there is a lot more than just And there is a lot more than just uh, I'm not sure where we are here, but what I was saying, what I was saying, is that we had had a system of justice for the global ruling elite, regardless of party, uh, and their goals are money and power. They have no real ideology other than theology of oppression and control. Uh, Or is there a different system of justice for people like you and I and General Flynn, uh, whose basic constitutional rights are just stomped on and nobody other than us, of course, seems to care. I mean, that's not really true because 65,000 brave Americans contributed to my legal defense. Uh, I financially lost everything in this struggle. I lost my home, my savings, my free speech rights, my ability, therefore, to make a living. Uh, what little insurance I had, um, I sold anything, any asset I had to pay legal expenses. I could never have defended myself uh, uh, without the help of 65,000 great Americans who contributed both to my legal defense fund, but also to a family fund to help just help basically help me stay alive. Uh, You know, we're talking about groceries and gasoline and medical expenses and prescription drugs and rent. Um, But uh, thank God that there are that many, you know, freedom-oriented Americans who did not like what was being done to me and saw through the mainstream media interpretation. I mean, most people couldn't even tell you what it is I was charged with or convicted of. They just know I was convicted of something. Um, And, uh, you know, it's very scary because, Adam, if it can happen to me, and I started being fairly well-known, now I'm very well-known, well, then it can happen to anybody. Any Americans can lose their voice and lose their freedoms literally overnight at the hands of a tyrannical judicial system, which has no interest in justice, which is just interested in 
pursuing a political agenda. It's a very, very... Very, very... Yeah, one of the things, I think a lot of people listening to this who aren't fully familiar with your story might go, oh, he's denying, he's playing into the drama, he's playing the victim card. But I want to point out that you're kind of holding back here on having not even told the story of the uh, the raid and the arrest and the way that you were treated it, it was it was really something else. And I do want to say I really appreciate seeing your your Instagram battles with the judge and and standing up publicly in that. And I understand, you know, that there are a lot of people who face not just the the direct persecution, but all of those other things you mentioned of hardships associated with going through these legal challenges. So um, I, I want to you know jump ahead to. Uh, your your involvement with Richard Nixon and, and see if there's a connection here because you have uh, you have the famous Nixon tattoo in the middle of your back. Uh, one of the questions that we got from our fans today was uh, if you were going to get a Trump tattoo next to the Nixon tattoo. And I, I think a, a better question would be that you've worked with both. How do they compare? Well, uh, first of all, I'll take the tattoo question first. What I was thinking of doing is adding Goldwater, Reagan, and Trump for kind of a Mount Rushmore effect on my back. Now, I'd have to get really drunk to do that because it would be very painful, but I am actively considering it. Uh, Secondarily, um, if I had to compare Trump with another president that I had an intimate association with, it would be Reagan. Uh, he's more like Reagan in the sense that he's a big picture guy. Uh, he's more like Reagan in his public persona. Uh, you know, they're both tall, broad-shouldered, commanding media presence. Nixon, on the other hand, was an extra was an introvert in an extrovert's business. He was um, he was intimately involved with detail of all of his policies. Some of his policies very great, some of them deeply flawed. I mean. He reached a strategic arms limitation agreement with the Soviets. He opened the door to China, although I think he would be spinning in his grave if he saw the way we had then handed them so many advantages. Uh, he ended the war in Vietnam. He ended military conscription through the draft. He gave us the 18-year-old vote. Uh, he desegregated the public schools without incident, without bloodshed. Uh, he gave us, uh, uh, you know, the, the war on cancer, but he also made egregious mistakes, the war on drugs being his biggest one. And I've said this for 30 years, so there's no hypocrisy here. It's his biggest single mistake, but let's be very clear. He's not the one who turbocharged the war on drugs. He's not the one who provided for the harsh mandatory uh, penalties for the first time nonviolent crime of possession of small amounts of drugs for personal use. That would be Joe Biden and Bill Clinton. Let's be very clear. So they took a bad policy and they made it much, much worse. And they should answer for that because Joe Biden has incarcerated more poor people and more black people in this country for nonviolent crimes than anybody in American history, save Bill Clinton. And Bill Clinton's not on the ballot this year. And should he take Kamala Harris as his running mate? She, her, her track record as a district attorney and attorney general uh, of California on this very issue is abysmal. She has incarcerated more poor black people than any state figure you can name. And in many cases, she extended their incarceration past their sentence so the state could take advantage of their cheap labor. What kind of, what kind of a, a, of a person is this? So this is, I think, an important issue. Trump, to his credit, has championed the Second Chance Act to get some of those people 
trapped in the bowels of our penal system for ridiculously long sentences uh, out of prison to try to rebuild their lives. So the war on drugs and these tough mandatory penalties where a judge has no discretion. I'm not talking about drug kingpins and drug dealers. I'm talking about the single mother with three kids who's caught with a small amount of marijuana in her purse should not go to prison for 25 years. The war on drugs is destroying lives, destroying families, rehabilitating no one. If you're a conservative, you're paying billions of dollars to house and feed people who are not violent criminals. Drug abuse is a public health issue. It is not a criminal justice issue. Uh, and uh, I would like to see the president take marijuana off the Schedule One list. I would like to see him reform the current archaic drug laws that, that give a judge uh, some discretion uh, in terms of sentencing. The woman I just described should go to probation and public health services, not prison. So, um, you know, there's a lot of work to be done. This is why I'm not going to just drop out of this business and open a shelter for, for, you know, stray dogs, which is what I would do otherwise, what I would like to do otherwise. I continue to stay in the arena and fight for the things I believe in. Uh, and drug uh, uh, reform is a major area of my interest. Uh, and, I've, and criminal justice reform, now that I've experienced it, uh, uh, will be a new focus, or I should say an increased focus. Well, Roger, I want to get to all the audience questions here. Um, and, and if you don't mind, uh, we'll take some comments from the, the live stream. And if you want to ask Roger nasty questions, we can, re- he's, he's, Thickest skin guy in the game, I know. You want to ask? We're we're gonna have some fun with this, but Roger, there was one general, you know, and some of these I'm gonna read verbatim, and 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 some of them I'm summarizing. But there's there's one genuine critique or, or, or trend of critiques of, of your recent interviews and some of your demeanor that that I I, I do really have to challenge you on. Some of the, the flirting with racism language, I think, uh, something that you said in a recent interview. You know, no, I, I know you had no, to all your... No, no, no. Something I'm alleged to have said. I can... I can, I can, I can forensic evidence that I was duped in an audio, that, that, I, that they dropped in a bite in the middle. In the middle. My audio. I sent this out to three different sound engineers all had the exact same analysis, but I finally found one willing to back it up with their name because, oh, I don't need Black Lives Matter to show up at my office and destroy my business. Anybody who knows me knows that I was opposed to stop and frisk in New York City, that I uh, wrote uh, editorials against my own boss, Ronald Reagan, when he refused to extend the Voting Rights Act, that I'm the last conservative on earth that continues to support affirmative action, uh, that I have opposed the racist war on drugs for 30 years, uh, that I have crusaded for a pardon for Marcus Garvey, the early civil rights leader, who I believe was railroaded by the FBI because he was getting a very substantial following in the African-American community in this country. And he, I, I know that they set him up on fake tax evasion charges. Marcus Garvey was Dr. Martin Luther King before Dr. King was Dr. King. Uh, speaking of Dr. King, I was one of the original Republicans who supported a holiday in his name, along with Jack Kemp and, and Governor Tom Kane, both pro-civil rights Republicans. So the idea that I used 
what some consider a racial epitaph in a, in a recent radio show will be disproven uh, now that I have somebody with the guts to put forward an actual analysis of the entire tape. Uh, this was a setup, and I guess this guy got his 15 minutes of fame out of it. And I know there's a lot of anger on the left about my commutation, so uh, his timing was great. But no, it's not a word I use, uh, and my record speaks for itself. All right, duly noted. Let's see if we can get a lightning round in here. If you're watching on YouTube right now, get us your questions. We've got comments, Jim Freedom, watching the comments live. So the first one that I think that is, is really important to this bigger conversation that I, I, I want I want there to be a connection where where there's traditionally been a divide. A lot of libertarians look at you as a representative of Trump supporters and say, screw them all because they're Trump supporters. And I think one of the things that's so cool about you and I being able to sit down like this is showing that, you know, and I think the same thing is true with a lot of people on the left, maybe more Green Party types, that there's a genuine desire for justice that we can share and things that we can work together on. So what's the biggest threat to freedom right now, Roger? Well, see, I do think that left and right, and even Republican and Democrat, is really a Hegelian device that's used to divide people who actually agree on many things. It's just a fact that three out of 10 Bernie Sanders voters voted for Donald Trump in the last election because they preferred his stance on war. They don't think we should be marching off to another endless foreign war where we have no inherent interest, spilling blood and treasure. Uh, they agreed with his uh, with his trade policies where we have been entering a, into these big one size fits all international trade deals, which just screw American workers and have done nothing for our country while they're great for our trading partners. So, um, you know, I recognize in libertarianism, there's left libertarians and right libertarians. There are, there are libertarians who share more conservative views, for example, on defense. There are libertarians who have more liberal views, uh, in some areas, but, these devices are used to divide us and to distract us from the fact that the people oppressing us don't really have an ideology other than the ideology of money and power and control, uh, which is why it is. Uh, it is. Hold uh, on, hold on. You left out pedophilia. Well, how that, big is that? In the, I mean, obviously, if you're a pedophile and power gives you the ability to evade accountability, is, is that a big factor? I mean, a lot of people who are supporting Trump are like, oh, he's going after the pedophiles. I, I mean, I, I Epstein, Maxwell. It, it's a reality. I mean, it is a political reality. But if you'll go back and look, um, my book, The Clinton's War on Women, is the, I'm the first American writer to expose Jeffrey Epstein. Everything you've learned in, in the last 18 months about Jeffrey Epstein, every bit of it is all in my book and it's documented. I have the flight logs. I, I report Bill Clinton's 28 uh, trips on, on uh, Epstein's plane. I report the 17 trips by Bill Clinton to the island. Uh, this bombshell revelation last week that uh, Virginia Roberts, now Virginia uh, Giuffre, saw Bill Clinton on the island at a party with two 17-year-olds. I had that document in 2016. It's in my book. If you go to my book, The Bush Crime Family, um, I expose the Bush administration's uh, uh, involvement in pedophilia including accusations against the president himself. So I haven't shied away from reporting on this topic. It is among those in the upper reaches of power, among the power elite, both here in Europe. It, it, is, a, it is a mass scandal, and it is continuing. 
Uh, and I do think Trump is the first president who's done anything about it. Uh, but the people who are involved are extraordinarily wealthy, extraordinarily powerful, uh, and uh, they will fight not to be prosecuted, not to be exposed. All right. So direct quote from one of our commenters. Which South American leader would Roger Stone most personally like to depose and replace with an American puppet? Well, I'm, uh, I take a dim view uh, on the efforts to unseat Maduro. Not that I'm against Maduro, because I am. He's a communist. But what would we do? We place him with another autocrat so a different group of people can steal the country blind? I'm, I'm, not, a, I'm not a believer in regime change. I think you may have me confused with someone else. Uh, so I, I don't think, uh, you know, I, I really don't like Maduro, just like I really don't like Castro, uh, because the oppression of communism uh, is horrific. But I also don't have any pretense that the election of somebody new would really change anything in terms of the uh, of the plight of the people and their access to free markets or to uh, upward mobility or to some kind of economic opportunity. All we do would be replace one set of crooks with another set of crooks to rip off the people. So okay, um, I guess I reject the premise of the question. It's a fun, thought-provoking one. The next one, maybe a little more on the nose with Epstein and Ghislaine Maxwell and Trump's recent comments, you know, the, the ones of wishing her well. I've met her lots of times. There's a connection there. What is the Trump-Epstein connection? Um, I cover this pretty extensively in my 2016 book. They clearly know each other. Uh, Trump blocks Epstein. He bans him from uh, being a member at Mar-a-Lago fairly early after Epstein hits on one of the uh, women who works in the spa and on the daughter, the underage daughter of one of his friends. So I think he figures it out kind of early. They definitely move in the same circles. On the other hand, Donald Trump has never been on Epstein's plane. Donald Trump has never... Uh, partied with Epstein in a non-public setting. Donald Trump has never visited his island. But last week, there's multiple stories on uh, Twitter that Roger Stone was seen on Epstein's island. False. Let's see proof of that. I've never even met Epstein, although I have seen him. I saw him from across the room with several hundred people in New York City at a public function. Uh, you can almost smell the sulfur from there. Uh, but uh, look, I cover this very extensively. Sorry, folks, but Jeffrey Epstein's connections to the Clintons, his role as an early funder of the Clinton Global Initiative, uh, his, uh, his, his connections to Democratic Party politics in New York State, he's far closer to the Clintons, uh, who I think have some real exposure, than he is to Trump, who know him but I think has no exposure. Okay, so the next question, Epstein's death in jail. Do you think he killed himself? And regardless, why do you think Trump let that happen? Well, first of all, I don't think Trump let it happen, but somebody did. Uh, and the question becomes why and how. How incredibly Trump stop if Trump, if Trump, If Trump wanted Epstein to be able to come and testify, he could have kept him alive. I, I, you're the president. You have a high-profile prisoner. I wish I agreed with that, happen. but unfortunately, you can see that we have rogue elements in our Justice Department. I think that by not cleaning house at the Justice Department and leaving many, many of the Obama-Clinton people in place, he doesn't have control of uh, elements of his own Justice All right, Department. Next. Uh, and therefore, I, I don't. I don't. I also don't think he could anticipate that he would be killed. Perhaps he should have, but I don't think he could. 
I mean, I, I think there's a certain amount of responsibility there. I think if you really wanted to keep Epstein alive, that the president has that power. But all right, changing subjects to go back to our audience questions. One of our members wanted you to comment on the Brooks Brothers riot, the mob that stopped the recount in Florida. You had an interesting role in that yes. critical episode in American politics. Your thoughts now? Yes. 20 again, years after. Again, a flaw in the basic premise of your question. When Democratic Party officials attempted to recount the same pile of ballots the third time, it, in essence looking to create new votes for Al Gore, in accordance with Florida's sunshine laws, uh, when these officials tried to take the ballots into a closed room with no windows, no doors, and no observers, yes, a group of people physically stood in the way and stopped that, and I told them to do so. That is not stopping the recount. It is stopping the third recount of the same ballots. Uh, and I think it was illegal to remove them from the room. Now, this is sometimes confused with another incident that involved one of the county commissioners who was accused of trying to leave the room with ballots. I don't know anything about that. I speak only to the specific situation in which I was involved. I, by the way, um, as I think most people clearly know, never considered myself a Bush Republican. Uh, and the only reason I was embroiled in the recount was because Jim Baker who as Reagan's chief of staff had helped one of my candidates, Tom Kane of New Jersey, become governor. Uh, I had a political debt to pay. And in my business, if you don't pay your debts, um, you won't be in business very long. I knew what you were going to say about the Brooks Brothers riot. And uh, yeah, there were, there were a lot of shenanigans back then. That's the key thing. Okay, but... Uh, we've only got a few minutes left. I have one big personal question I want to ask you. But first, Jim, do we have any any good any good? I know we've got some trolls in our audience today. Roger Stone, uh, I mean, just always going to provoke the trolls. We've got some serious. But we have, all right, well, let's see. If we got a lightning round here for Roger from the audience. Henry, Mr. Stone, Trump made big campaign promises to pull troops out from overseas, but has instead sent six thousand more troops to Afghanistan. Where do you stand on Trump's Middle East hypocrisy? Um, uh, you know, again, I think his instincts um, to get our troops out of Iraq, out of Syria, uh, out of Afghanistan is correct. I think in many cases uh, he has been thwarted or talked out of it by some of his neocon advisors. These are not the people that I would have selected. Let's take H.R. McMaster, for example. Uh, but again, I think his fundamental instincts are good. I think that's proven by the fact that despite several provocations that were that were elevated by people in his own administration to go to war over a drone, um, he correctly decided, no, we're not going to do that. So um, I, I'm going to stick with, uh, with the president because I think his instincts on this are good. Uh, and I hope in a second term we can move to withdraw more of these troops, uh, as I think he wants to do and he recognizes most Americans want to do. Jim? Okay. Uh, one more question for Roger. What do you think the outcome of the Durham report will be and will it affect the election? Um, I have some grave concerns about whether there's going to be any outcome at all. First of all, I don't believe that Mr. Durham, it's just an opinion, will make any report prior to the election. And that's problematic. I saw the speed in which they investigated and charged me on essentially fabricated crimes. Um, what has happened here based on newly declassified documents is abundantly clear. There's no dispute about it. We know exactly who did what and when. 
So the question is, do we have a two-tiered system of justice? Mr. Brennan, who's clearly the ringleader in this illegal coup, uh, who who uh, lied multiple times under oath and mis and clearly abused his power, and Mr. Comey. Uh, it is interesting that the week that I was convicted, um, the prosecutor in my case, the new prosecutor, J.C. J.P. Cooney, announced that that Andrew McCabe would not be prosecuted for lying to the FBI, which is a more serious crime penalty-wise than what I was wrongly convicted of. And prior to that, uh, Attorney General Barr had two recommendations from the Inspector General at the Justice Department for the prosecution of James Comey for lying, uh, both of them more serious crimes than the ones, again, that I was convicted of, lying to Congress, uh, wrongly convicted of. And Mr. Barr gave Mr. Comey a pass. So this leads me to a certain skepticism that anybody will ultimately be prosecuted. Let me say that I hope that I am wrong, but uh, as as of this moment, I'm still waiting. All right, Roger, I got one last big question for you. I'm really excited about this idea because there have been a lot of people challenging Trump about the cognitive test. And I, I you know, Biden uh, avoiding the cognitive test, uh, you know, saying I don't need it. Are you a junkie? You know, uh, it's it's really pretty. It's, it's got to rub you the wrong way. So I'd like to start a super PAC, and I'd like to invite you to join me in this. It would be called Citizens for an Intelligent President, and it exists possibly for one sole purpose, and that's to raise money to challenge all of the candidates who you would say are eligible to be in the debate to take a cognitive test live on national television streamed from the National Press Club. We raise the money. We say we're going to use this money as a super PAC to broadcast the results. So basically we, we invite, uh, if, if the Green Party qualifies to their candidate, we invite Joe Jorgensen for the Libertarian Party, President Trump and Joe Biden. We say, here's the money. Put up or shut up. Take a cognitive test. Full transparency. We have, we have you and you as, as the, the Republican, myself as a Libertarian, we recruit a Biden supporter to do this with us so that it's, it's genuinely fair. We get an objective tester to administer uh, a cognitive test, and uh, we, we see who's really got the chops. What do you say? Well, I'll start at the beginning. Um, I do find it kind of interesting that um, when uh, a black commentator tries to ask Biden about his mental fitness, uh, Biden immediately accuses the guy of being a junkie. Is that not a racist comment? Yeah. To say, what are you on cocaine? Are you some kind of junkie? That certainly seems racist to me. But he didn't seem to get beat up the way that, say, Trump would if he said something like that, or even Roger Stone. Well, in, in, in that case, that, I mean, I don't want to play devil's advocate too much, but I could excuse Biden as he's he's deliberately. T this is what a racist would say, and it would be inappropriate to ask you if you're a junkie. He's, he's saying that what he is saying is inappropriate. But I'm more, of, more concerned about both of them really uh, avoiding taking a cognitive test in public. Wouldn't you want to see that? I mean, even if we even if we can't get Joe Jorgensen, the Libertarian, or Howie Hawkins, the Green, there to have Joe Biden and Donald Trump just, hey, you're going to take a cognitive test live in person side by side. I would There's take that. It's unnecessary. There's a better way to do it. Let them have a four-person debate. People will be able to see in a in a in a in a real time live action situation how all of them conduct themselves, uh, and I think it'll be abundantly clear after that um, who's uh, uh, who's all there and who is not. Let's have that debate. 
Suddenly you have all these Democrats saying, well, Biden doesn't need to debate. These debates really don't change anything. Uh, you know, they're easily manipulated. I mean, baloney. It's a tradition in American politics. We should have a debate. I've already said I think it should be open to anybody who can acquire okay, 270 or Politically, as a Trump supporter, do you – I know you're, you're a rational self-interest, real politic kind of guy. You wouldn't be saying this if you didn't think that the Libertarian Green together – would take more votes from Biden than Trump, right? And, and if that's the case, are you going to be actively promoting getting the Libertarian Green nominees into a I debate actually, with, with Trump? I'm not, even sure, I'm not even sure that that's actually true. I, I actually think, just based on looking at past data, that it's probably about a wash, meaning I think they probably, first of all, they pull votes from a number of people who wouldn't have voted otherwise, who are going there specifically to vote for one or the other. So a significant number of the votes that the minor parties would get wouldn't go to Biden or Trump. And then based on everything I've seen, they pull from the major parties. It's minor, but they pull from the major parties at about the same level. So I don't, it's not some dirty trick, which I know nothing about, uh, not some political machination. It's just a deep seated belief that your participation in the debate should be based on how many states you get on the ballot in. If you fall short of 270, you shouldn't be in the debates because you cannot theoretically be elected. But what I really object to is, you know, you have to score 15% in four consecutive polls that we choose. No, that's nonsense. That should not be the measure. Uh, look, I don't think anybody's going to listen to me on this. Uh, I'm just giving you my own isolated opinion, but... I think all four candidates should be in the debate. Uh, it would be a little more lively if the Libertarians had nominated you as opposed to someone whose name at this moment I still can't even remember, uh, but who I don't think is going to end up being a significant factor in the in the race. All right. Well, uh, one last question. Uh, how much do you know about Joe Jorgensen? How much do you love Joe Jorgensen? How much of a wonderful libertarian principled candidate do we have with Joe Jorgensen? Oh, no, I'm sorry, Roger. We don't have time for you to answer those questions. I just want to slip in her name a few more times. But, hey, it's, it's been a wonderful hour. I, I really appreciate you taking the time. And, and I, I just want to give you the chance to close out. I want to ask, you know, what's next for Roger Stone? Congratulations again on evading prison time. Uh, you know, for, I, the, the, the line to Congress, you should not get arrested for that. You should get a medal for it. You know, really, like, really that, like, that, if that's the real crime, you know, at, at all, like, that you lied to Congress, no, there is no way that jail time is justified. And I'm very happy to congratulate you on uh, a, a new a new lease on life, wherever you are. So, please, you know, what's next? And, and, and what, you know, what else would you like our audience to know today? Well, uh, I have to assume that your slavish endorsement of the Libertarian Party candidate is only because you intend to make another bid for that party's nomination in four years. And if that's the case, I congratulate you. You've learned something from me anyway. Secondarily, <laughs> Not the only reason. I'm going to write a book about this entire experience because for 16 months I was gagged. Nobody's really heard my entire side of it. Believe me, uh, when they say Stone got special treatment, you, they're not kidding. When 29 FBI agents in SWAT uh, gear, wearing night goggles and carrying assault weapons, storm your house at 6 o'clock in the morning, arriving in 17 armored vehicles, a helicopter, and two amphibious units on the canal behind your house, replete with frogmen who are uh, equally armed, uh, to arrest you for uh, a nonviolent white-collar process crime, 
that's most definitely special treatment, particularly when they tip off CNN, who arrives 14 minutes before you're arrested. Uh, while at the same time, the FBI is telling my neighbors to stay in their home. It's a dangerous situation. It's obviously not dangerous for CNN. Uh, and the idea that I had to be arrested in this manner because I was a flight risk is disproved by the fact that the government knows I have no passport, uh, no valid passport. They know I don't own a gun, although I strongly support the Second Amendment. Uh, they know that I have, it's publicly known that I'm under investigation because they have leaked it so many times. Therefore, I'm widely recognized. And they disprove it four hours later when I'm arraigned and they don't ask for any cash bond for my release, proving that they never thought I was a uh, flight risk. So I'm going to write a book about this entire experience to finally get a chance to tell my side of it. it the fight, unfortunately, continues as Robert Mueller himself and Andrew Weissman and Congressman Jerry Nadlier uh, and Schiff and others attempt to recycle the same nonsense again about what I did and did not do and what I knew and what I did not know. And I think that has been pretty clearly established. Uh, and then uh, beyond that, I'll just be out here fighting for liberty and freedom. I'm not going to go away. People want to help me can go to stonedefensefund.com, stonedefensefund.com. Uh, uh, yes, I have to finance an appeal, which is going to take a year and a million dollars. It is not easy, but I, I am committed to it. I do have some trepidation because if my verdict is uh, is thrown out, I would have to stand trial before the exact same judge. And I don't think I was treated fairly. And therefore, I have to question whether I would be treated even more fairly, uh, unfairly than I was the first time. It's a vexing question, but at the same time, you know, I'd like to I'd like to exonerate my my name because this is nonsense. Um, I did not lie to Congress regarding anything material or with intent. And therefore, I didn't violate the law. And then the threatening a witness thing is complete nonsense. The the witness that I'm accused of having uh, tampered with testified on the stand that he never felt threatened by me, wrote a letter to the judge that said the same thing. This is the same guy, by the way who threatened to shoot other witnesses in the head who were exculpatory to my case. This but is critical, right? It's extraordinary. Now, I, I mean, I, I, I'm a little bit familiar with, with the, the, the Credico backstory. And, I, I, I mean, I look at that, and it's it's so silly. I have to wonder if you guys deliberately set that up as some kind of drama that, that went awry or went too far. Well, uh, the problem, of course, is that he is my source regarding the what little I knew about the WikiLeaks disclosures, I gave the special counsel's office 30 pages of text messages uh, that were exculpatory and indisputably proved that. They chose to ignore it. They had multiple witnesses in front of the grand jury that dis that disproved their theory and proved that he was my source. It will all come out on appeal. It will, it will be ultimately proven uh, on appeal. I was not happy with the job my lawyers did in cross-examining him. In retrospect, I recognized I should have just represented myself Certainly would have been more colorful, I guarantee you that. Uh, but, you know, I, I will continue to fight to clear my name despite the extraordinary expense. Uh, there is, you know, there's a huge movement among left-wing Democrats to to reinvestigate me. Evidently, they think that there's more to find when there is no more to find. There's also some lame arguments that I can be reindicted on the same charges. I don't think that's the case. Uh, but I have to be wary about that because the deep state lives and they don't like free thinkers and they don't like people who stick their thumb in the eye of authority uh, and they don't like people who blaze their own trail. No, I'm sorry. I'm 
I'm a conservative who's against the war on drugs. I don't care if you don't like it. It's just the way it is. I'm a conservative who doesn't believe in endless foreign war where we have no interests. So I'm going to continue to stick to what I do. Um, and uh, I won't be opening a shelter for um, for stray dogs, unfortunately, anytime soon. But that would be the next thing I would do if I could. Well, I hope you'll uh, continue to stand there for uh, or to stand for Julian Assange and his work and, and help him get the same uh, positive outcome. No. Uh, I, I really think what is being done to him is horrific. Uh, he is not a Russian asset. Sorry, John Brennan, you have no proof of that. That's nonsense. Uh, and none of his releases killed thousands of American troops. That's not true either. All he's done is embarrass the power elite. He is, he is, and they didn't, they didn't charge him with anything related to the uh, obtaining or publishing of Hillary's or the DNC's emails. They have alleged that he is hacking when all he's doing is talking to a hacker. Well, by that standard, the New York Times and the Washington Post and the Wall Street Journal should be prosecuted. They publish uh, uh, classified information that they get from illicit sources all the time. Uh, what is being done to Assange is criminal. It is horrific. It makes me sick to my stomach. Uh, and I'm for freedom for Julian Assange. My position hasn't changed. And no Democrats. He's not a Russian asset. So cut the crap. Beautiful. Well said. Thank you so much, Roger. Again, I really appreciate you taking the time today. Uh, you know, any, anything people need to know about how to connect with you, other things to support you? You have StoneZone.com. Is that, well, is that your main website? No, actually, I'm going to go back to TheStoneColdTruth.com. Remember, I was barred from having anything whatsoever on social media uh, or on the Internet. So if I you know, had a great hamburger at lunch and I took a picture of it and put it on Instagram, I would have been instantly jailed by saying, wow, this was a great burger. So uh, I'm going to ramp Stone Cold Truth back up. I've already begun writing there. Uh, also, you know, aggregating stories that I think aren't getting any attention in the mainstream media so that they will get attention. Adam, you're invited to write there anytime you would like on any subject you would like. We will not edit or censor anything you want to say. Well, if you were in favor of child pornography, we probably wouldn't let you post that. But otherwise, you welcome. All right, beautiful. Thank you so much, Roger. Really appreciate it. Uh, I, I encourage everybody to at least, you know, be keeping an eye on, on Roger Stone. He, I am, I am excited uh, that he is going to continue to be a major player in American politics. And I hope in the off chance that Joe Jorgensen doesn't win in 2020 and we have President Trump for a second term, that Roger will have his ear pulling him in a libertarian direction on all of these issues. Thanks for having me, Adam. It's great to be with you, and God bless you. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I, that was uh, a, a really epic experience. I am so grateful that uh, my activism has led me to, to get to know and, and have a you know, personal connection and the ability to host a conversation with Roger Stone like that. Uh, we're, we're over time, but I did say that we were going to give CJ – uh, a chance to come on. He's got some stuff he wants. I, I wanted to mention one thing to CJ because I was listening to a show this morning. He said, to any Trump supporters who are new in the audience, all right, retards, listen up. Here's what you need to know. And, I, you know, like I go, man, you sound on your podcast like I sound on Twitter. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm a bit more snarky. And I want to be a little bit more welcoming and positive and, and, and find common ground. I think that was a really great thing that, that we were able to do with that conversation with Roger Stone. But CJ also wants to come on for uh, a couple producer announcements. So, CJ, if you would, please, welcome yourself to the stage. 
Does he get? See, you're just like, oh my gosh, that was as much Roger yeah, Simmons as you can handle. Yeah. yeah, right. Did we just do that? Did we just? Did we just ask? Did we just get Roger Stone on the record saying that Donald Trump should should debate the Green and the yeah, Libertarian Party candidates on the grounds yeah. that they are uh, duly qualified and have sufficient ballot access? Yeah. Is CJ with us? Did we just like blow his mind? Do I have to sign off without him? What's going on? He's coming on. All right. Going to. Gus Cryopolis, uh, I think Roger is going to convince Trump to support Kokesh 2024. Uh, Dave, well, that's, that's an exciting possibility. All right, CJ. Uh, yeah, oh, we had him, we lost him. Can you hear me? Yes, go ahead, CJ. Let's do producers. Okay. What do you think well, of that interview? Well, well, first and foremost, I last lost two, last two minutes of uh, what you were saying, basically, after Roger got off, because I flipped this oh, cord no. down and lost my microphone and lost the audio. Couldn't hear what you were saying, so... <laughs> I, was all, I was all talking about you and to you about Internet World. Anyway, I set you up perfectly. The audience knows you and loves you like your the, their dearest brother now, so... Any, you know, immediate recap? I don't want to take too long because we're over yeah. time, but uh, any immediate thoughts on Roger Stone? And please hit us with uh, what you want to share about uh, Internet Warlords and the uh, production upgrades for Adam versus the Man. Oh, okay. So, uh, yeah, I mean, first off about the interview, I absolutely am a my an admirer of Roger Stone's work over the years. Whether you love him or hate him, he has been a legend of his time, and so I will never take anything from him. What happened to him was an absolute atrocity and a shame on our government. And, yep. uh, you know, to be, to convict somebody for lying to the government that lies to us is about the ultimate hypocrisy. But, yeah, great interview. I hope that we'll have Roger Stone on again someday. Um, also, uh, I saw the comments uh, say, was that an endorsement in 2024? I don't know. Uh, just a few people were, were throwing that one out. Uh, so, yeah, about the upgrades to the show, I mean – Really, uh, I'm not a website designer by any stretch of the imagination, but I do have big dreams for what we're capable of doing and how we're capable of doing it. And so, we're, as we're building it out, you know, the the premise being it's going to look cleaner, it's going to be, uh, you know, more consistent, it's going to be uh, as techy as it can get with uh, within the realm of, you know, what's possible. And hopefully that will uh, continue to attract. The numbers are showing, uh, as we you were saying, uh, that, that we're actually having a positive impact. And, uh, yeah, so, I mean, what really what we want to do is based on, you know, what limitations we have set for the Internet. I mean, really, I, I want to set it to where we're streaming at AdamVersusTheMan.com. You know, I want to set it where we're, we're streaming for Patreon and, and the censorship behind the scenes is clearly evident when you go to the developer settings and and things of that nature behind the scenes. Uh, all the like I said, the techie stuff you hate to hear about. It's actually important. It's a, it, it, so uh, you know I think that just goes to show once you plug in things the right way, you can start to get at least I'd say truer, closer analytics. Like you're like you're you're like the. You know, you're not getting it exactly detailed, but you're seeing the views and the trends going a certain way. So, um, I'm just that goes to show the work, though, and, and the platform we're building and and the message that we're uh, we're driving forward. I mean, we're a place where you can come have a conversation uncensored. We don't want to have to worry about 
you know, the, the sensors. It's just, it's, it's such a drain to speaking and conversation when you have to censor yourself. And you have to worry about whether or not the big conglomerate corporation alphabet's going to make sure you you essentially, if you think about it, make any money or not. They can pick and choose favoritism, like you alluded to earlier, where you can directly show how censored individuals versus the ones that YouTube pushes and the the quality of of uh, you know their lives. I've watched people buy a Ferrari, make a video of buying a Ferrari. And then use the money from buying that first Ferrari video to buy a second Ferrari. You know, right now there's a Twitch streamer with, uh, with uh, you know, 700 people watching them play Yogi Bear. I witnessed to it this morning. So at some point, you know, it makes me go, well, uh, you know, we'll just keep building until eventually our audience and our view counts are undeniable. And and uh, hopefully that helps attract these, these larger guests. I mean, and you're fair and balanced to, to the point where, Look at Roger Stone. Look at Adam Kokesh. You know, you, you you gave him a challenging interview. You didn't. You held his feet to the fire when it comes to uh, you know a libertarian asking questions without the blatant trolls of the of uh, the comment section. You 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 stuck to some questions. I, don't, that, not, I thought we could have had more fun, random, off the wall troll comments or questions. Well, if you really want to know, I like I said, I mean, the, he I, likes responding to them. Okay, but I mean, I would say if he wanted to come on again, we would dedicate to uh, to to people. You know, one of the things I want to emphasize because I see it in the comments where Facebook goes, "Oh, three viewers," you know, like that's all you've got. Well, I I mean, in all honesty, first and foremost, uh, it's view, views after the fact. Live shows are always harder to catch, and everybody knows that. So the live audience is what it is. It's the what the view do does after the fact, but. You know, Wait, people, you know, people still watch the show on Facebook. I know. Like, like, like we, yeah, we're, are we broadcasting on I, Facebook? This is why, like, this, people this don't is, like. If you, yeah. The thing is, if you're there, we were telling you like go somewhere else. But CJ, I, I just, I just want to wrap this up by reminding yeah. people that we have, we have, we have an awesome team right now. I mean, really, best team that we that we've ever had for Adam versus the Man with the yeah. core team of. Jim as our, as our co-host and, and, and the connection with the audience through the comments and with CJ, or CJ, he's, he's also over there on the screen, on, in, in South Dakota with everything he's doing, putting on a lot of work, with Marcus Pulis, who was my press secretary in, in the campaign and is still, you know, doing, uh, I guess he would, he's my agent now, or booker, I don't know, for me, press secretary, we should just call him press secretary in that role but also the guest booker for the show doing a great job. We got a lot of great guests lined up. And, you know, we, we got a studio on the way. It's going to be five to seven weeks now before it gets here. Very exciting. We've been talking about that in the Telegram group chat for the Producers Club. And if you really want to help us, you know, I, I think we're it, – it's going to be like maybe maybe two months. We're going to keep growing out. We're going to keep developing uh, the, the technical side and the distribution side of this and improving – if you can give us $10 a month from the Producers Club, I mean, really, to be able to get to just up our Internet game uh, out here off-grid, it, it is a challenge to, to be able to pay for the studio. You can name it. We're open to friendly, fun sponsorship requests. And so please check it out, patreon.com slash Adam versus the man. And finally, to close out today's show, we do have one interesting coincidental piece of good news from the Good News network.org for this day in history. It was on this day, August 7th, 
1973 that NBC aired the final day of Watergate hearings on U.S. daytime television. And with that, peace and love, y'all. Choose happiness. Be excellent to each other.